FBI Director James Comey expresses concerns of threats posed by insiders and raising doubts about the oft-repeated claim that most startups go belly up a half year after a cyber breach. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The blanket media coverage of FBI Director James Comey's testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee earlier this week focused on his decision to reveal 11 days before last fall's presidential election the reopening of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server as Secretary of State. The former Democratic Party candidate for president and many of her supporters contend Comey's decision to inform oversight committee leaders of the reopening of the investigation and the ultimate leaking of that notification damaged her campaign and contributed to her defeat, a point the FBI director recognized in his testimony. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly, it wouldn't change the decision. Though not headline-grabbing, Comey had a lot more to say about cyber-related matters at the hearing and the challenges they present to the Bureau and the federal government. Republican Senator Jeff Flake of Nevada asked Comey what steps the FBI is taking to protect the sensitive information it holds on its computers. Comey answered the FBI is doing a lot to secure its IT, but focused his response on the threat posed by insiders. Since I've been director, we've stood up something called the Insider Threat Center, and I've put a senior FBI executive in charge of it because I want someone waking up every morning worrying about how might we lose data, who might be penetrating us, either our systems or as a human asset. And so a ton of work has gone into protecting our systems. But the weakest link is always the people because you can have the greatest firewalls and the greatest intrusion detection system, but if your people are engaging in either negligent or intentional misconduct, all of that's defeated. So we're spending a lot of time trying to make sure we have a rich picture of our people that is constant and doesn't depend upon five-year polygraph reinvestigations, but that shows us flags of a troubled employee in real time. That's hard to do and build technically and as a matter of law and policy, but we're working very hard on it. Flake also asked Comey to address the adequacy of Congress's cyber defenses to outsider threats. I don't mean this as a wise guy answer. Surely not, because none of us can be doing enough, frankly. Again, it's not just about the perimeter we build. It's about the security culture uh, inside our organizations. And, and look, I'm part of the FBI, and I still don't think ours is good enough. I'm sure Congress's is not good enough. At the hearing, Comey endorsed the reauthorization of Section 702 of FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act that's set to expire at year's end. Section 702 allows U.S. authorities, with court permission, to target communications of non-Americans overseas suspected of being terrorists. But in executing those warrants, Americans sometimes are swept up in the information collection because they may have been in communications with targeted foreign suspects. Civil libertarians say the incidental collection of information on Americans violates their civil liberties and questions whether Congress should reauthorize Section 702. Comey said that would be a mistake not to reauthorize. He said officials certified to view these communications are specially trained to safeguard the privacy of those Americans caught up in any incidental collection. And I'm telling you what the rest of the intelligence community has said. We need this to protect the country. This should be an easy conversation to have, but often people get confused about the details and mix it up with other things. So it's our job to make sure we explain it clearly. Comey addressed at the hearing one other cybersecurity-related matter, going dark. 
That's when law enforcement cannot gain access to a terror or criminal suspect's smartphone because the device is locked or encrypted. More than a year ago, Comey went head-to-head with Apple CEO Tim Cook when Apple refused to help law enforcement unlock the iPhone of the San Bernardino terror attack shooter. Since then, Comey said the FBI and the private sector have been meeting to identify a solution that could allow law enforcement with a warrant to access data on encrypted devices while ensuring privacy protections. What we want to work with the manufacturers on is to figure out how can we accommodate both interests in a sensible way? How can we optimize the privacy, uh, security features of their devices and allow court orders to be complied with? We're having some good conversations. I don't know where they're going to end up, frankly. I I could imagine a world that ends up with legislation saying if you're going to make devices in the United States, you figure out how to comply with court orders. Or maybe we don't go there. But we are having productive conversations right now, I think. The ISMG Security Report returns after this. Keynote panel. Cybersecurity in the era of Donald Trump. That, plus the FBI, DOJ, and more industry influencers at ISMG's Breach Summit in Washington, D.C. Visit ismgcorp.com to register today. The reluctance of many businesses to share threat intelligence is a global challenge. One nation where cyber leaders are trying to overcome that challenge is in Australia. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk reports from Sydney. Cyber criminals and hackers have no problems sharing tips to break into networks. So why are organizations reluctant to share their threat intelligence? It's been a thorny question and in part why hackers are nearly always ahead. There are reasons for the reluctance, ranging from worries about revealing too much to competitors, to trust questions, and ultimately fear of embarrassment. But in the end, none are justified. To one company, an attack is new only insofar as it hasn't been seen before. The same hacking technique may have been used frequently against others. The lack of coordination puts attackers at a strong advantage. The topic of sharing threat intelligence came up several times at a half-day forum in Sydney called Cybersecurity, the Leadership Imperative. The forum broadly addressed how to support Australia's plan to create a homegrown cybersecurity industry and better protect businesses. Steve Ingram, the Asia-Pacific cyber lead for PwC, says there's a pervasive belief that if organizations share threat intelligence, the crooks will know what the good side is doing. That's right. So what? They don't know anything they don't already know, right? We're just giving back what they've done. And if they know we're active, we'll become a harder target. There are efforts underway in Australia to improve sharing. The government's cybersecurity strategy, launched in April 2016, called for improved coordination between private industry and government. It also plans to establish joint cyber threat sharing centers stationed in Australia's capital cities and an online threat intelligence portal. Brisbane has been selected for the first pilot center. In Silicon Valley, many companies have overcome their intel sharing hangups. Craig Davies, the former director of security for Atlassian, says that company shared threat intelligence with a number of cloud providers, including some of its competitors. We do it because the bad guys are better organized than us anyway. Right? And also the way that you share information is done in a way that you're not sharing anything private or confidential. You're sharing indicators of compromise. So the information you're sharing is not really the kind of thing that is exposing you anyway. 
Davies says that the sharing between Silicon Valley companies came largely as a result of personal relationships built up between security professionals. Australia's efforts at a formalized approach presents an opportunity to create a system that may work better than others. Still, threat intelligence won't solve all of an organization's problems, but Davies says it will go certainly a long way to save companies from reinventing the wheel. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally. According to the U.S. National Cybersecurity Alliance, 60% of small businesses go bankrupt six months after a cyber attack. That's Representative Lamar Smith, the Texas Republican chairs of the U.S. House Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Smith employed that frightening factoid to spur on passage of the NIST Small Business Cybersecurity Act. The bill passed the committee earlier this week and advances to the full House. The legislation would direct the National Institute of Standards and Technology to tailor cybersecurity guidance for small businesses based on the NIST cybersecurity framework. During the committee's markup session, at least two other panel members referenced the same stat. And over the years, others have cited this statistic as proof for the high price small businesses pay after having their computers breached. Yet no one seems to know where this statistic comes from. Smith referenced as its source the National Cybersecurity Alliance. That's a not-for-profit industry-backed group that promotes cybersecurity awareness. Others have credited the alliance too, but not its executive director, Michael Kaiser. He says the 2011 statistic is not from the alliance, adding that the original source of the data cannot be confirmed. It's a powerful stat, though, but is it true? Fake news? Who knows? But for a moment, let's assume it's factual. Just because 60% of businesses go bankrupt six months after a security breach doesn't mean the cyber attack was the cause of the failure. More likely, other circumstances might have hastened their failures, including poor management, insufficient capital, lack of planning, overexpansion, and bad location. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says about one in five startups are not in business a year after their founding. Five years later, half of those businesses no longer exist. BLS has been producing these stats for 23 years, way before most businesses linked their computers to the Internet. And the BLS data have been consistent all those years. That trend suggests that factors other than cyber attacks drove those companies out of business. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.